This week, we're reading Master of Crows by Grace Draven, otherwise known as I Have a Boner for this cover. <laughs> Hi, readers. I'm Jordan. And I'm Katie. And welcome to Not Another Heroine, the podcast where we break down the best and worst fictional heroines, those swashbuckling ladies who have to work a little harder than expected for their happy ending. Want to see what's next on our TBR list? Subscribe to us on YouTube or follow us on Instagram for a sneak peek at upcoming content or to help us pick our next book. <laughs> Master Cruz by Grace Draven. Yes. Uh, we've only talked about this particular book in almost every single uh, <laughs> episode we've recorded so far. Yeah. Because at first I was like, oh, she's going to say we haven't talked about it that much. And I'm like, I don't know that that's true. And then uh, I think yeah. as much as we've talked about Akatar, Yeah. I, I'm thinking. And Crown Duel for that matter. That is true. I, I almost feel like it's like Akatar, Master of Crows, and then Crown Duel. And that's a very like weird. Combination. Triage. Of- yeah. <laughs> because one is firmly YA. One is very much on the spicy end. Yeah. And one is like. Hollywood blockbuster of the fantasy mm-hmm. romance genre. Mm-hmm. So, Master of Crows. Master of Crows. Yeah. Um, wow. Where do we even... I don't know. Do, do you want to start with our general notes? Uh, yeah. So, just to kind of clear some things up. Um, <laughs> well, I guess stuff that we just wanted to talk about before we kind of got into the plot and the synopsis mm-hmm. and the characters, which is we both found that the names in particular of the characters, like specific details of the book were way easier to recall than, mm-hmm. like, we have talked about entire books for 20 minutes and couldn't remember the character's <laughs> yeah, name. Yeah, it's like, what is this uh, gal's name again? I don't like, remember. <laughs> you and I have both read Half a Soul, like, multiple times. Yeah. What are the characters' names? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't the random one guy, Albert... You remember the secondary male character? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is all that is in my brain right now. <laughs> but Albert. But for example, in but, this yeah. book, like we have Sahara and Martise mm-hmm. mm-hmm. as yep. the two leads. And then Gurn and Anya and... Uh, uh, Kale. Kale. Oh, Kale. <laughs> First, I thought you'd the leafy vegetable, but no. <laughs> no kale. The dog. The dog. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, the, that's yeah. what I mean. Even the dog is, is memorable yeah. in this book. And mm-hmm. I think what we kind of stumbled on... Oh, Yes. I remembered something I wanted to point out in the beginning, which is in addition to taking shots. Oh, Katie is wearing the most magnificent, (laughs) superb Twilight t-shirt you have ever seen in your life. Yes, I am. How did you describe the look Uh, of Edward? Yeah, Edward is very slightly yassified. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Could you translate for our older audience? Yeah, I've had to explain this a time or two. So um, do you use Facetune or have you heard of Facetune? I've heard of it. Okay, it's like the Instagram app that lets you like make your face look more airbrushed and like more. But um, it's so like clinical in its application that you can tell when people are using Facetune. Um, And so people call it yassifying, like, yes, girl. (laughs) Um, And that's what they did to Robert Pattinson slightly. Like his cheekbones are are cheekboning. They look like they drew lines underneath (laughs) his cheekbones. Yeah. And he's got the like, brows are lower Mm -hmm. he's somewhat glaring the hair is very fluffy yeah so uh hot topic had a selection of uh twilight shirts but also there's some excellent ones on etsy um there's a whole (laughs) store of (laughs) twilight t-shirts so now that we've established the vibe we're we're drinking soju katie's wearing a magnificent (laughs) edward twilight t-shirt we have snacks galore this is a true katie and jordan recording session that's that's what master of crows deserves yeah It, it does yeah, we've talked about this book 
almost excessively. (laughs) (laughs) So another slightly maybe a hot take is Mm. that while I enjoyed the second read and it was very fast, I was not as enamored of it on the second read. That's fair. (laughs) (laughs) How much time did you spend in the last third of the book, Katie? Uh, Limited. (laughs) (laughs) This is my fourth read. And I think about the fourth time is when you're like, oh, okay, this is a little bit like, I know exactly what's going to happen. Everything's fine. Um, (laughs) My partner made some jokes. He was like, oh, yeah, you hit the, you know, climax, the eyebrow wiggle, uh, and then you don't need to read the rest. <laughs> and I was like, well, that happens at like 40 percent. And he's like, and, and I was like, OK, <laughs> that is 75 percent accurate for this book, I would say. <laughs> well, we also caved and we got the hard copies. Yeah. Which they're surprisingly hard to find because I think it's an indie publisher. Yeah. It's like BAE books or SAE books. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like you know. What I, the... don't, I don't. I oh. don't. No, not on this one. <laughs> it's some kind of like rando, um, like this company is oh. going to steal my credit card information, okay, but it's yeah. not. <laughs> a- ABE books. Oh, yeah. That one. So it's like a site for used book retailers i mm. guess mm-hmm. um but these came from texas they're both used copies oh. but my god uh, the cover art is oh my god stunning like it, it even feels nice yeah this is and it's interesting too because in her um what's it called when authors like write notes at the beginning dedication <laughs> acknowledgements preface i don't know uh, that area i think she says that this is like a, a painting like it's like a, a portrait or something oh, that wow. is like based on art? the book I think so. Yeah, but beautiful. Like, this is artwork. <laughs> yeah, so some of these fantasy romance, like uh, indie publishing, mm-hmm. indie art, it's kind of cheesy. Yeah. Um, this is something like, oh, I, I rarely buy a book because it's pretty. Yeah. This is a book where you just want to hold it. Yeah. Because the, the artwork, and I think part of the reason is because you can't see the characters' faces. Mm. They're just in profile enough that it's a mystery. Mm-hmm. It's it's beautiful. It's very nice. It kind of makes me want to cry. Like it's the tones, the like coloring. Um, yeah. And it has those like um for my tactile people, uh, it has that like weird, like soft, not glossy finish, but it's yeah. like a matte kind yeah. of oh god. Mm-hmm. Have a boner for this book. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was inappropriate. That might be the episode title. <laughs> Everything's fine. <laughs> but you know, this there's just moments. <laughs> Um, yeah, Jordan just took her shot. That's fair. <laughs> um, I can't. I I'm can't. a little bit ashamed, but also it's true. Because you know those covers that are just like, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about the writing style? Because I feel like this is kind of important. Yes. So Grace Draven mm-hmm. has a very, un- like, um, uh, unique is kind of a cliche way mm-hmm. to put it. But her style of writing, so she typically writes in third person. She alternates perspective, but it's not like a forced perspective switch. You yeah. know how a lot of authors, each chapter is dedicated to a certain character. She kind of flows with the with the story itself. Mm-hmm. So where it makes sense for characters to be kind of viewing the scene from that character's perspective is when the writing style switches. And so you don't really notice it a lot. Mm-hmm. And it also, I think, is part of the reason why it enables us to remember the specific details yeah because you get so much back and forth where you're viewing it from so many characters you learn the names because they have to be repeated because 
the characters are repeating it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because this is also told in the third person instead of the first person, which I feel like a lot of fantasy romance yeah. is first person. I, it feels kind of like a... Mm, this is aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> it feels kind of like a cop-out to write in first person. I, I can see that 100%. That's not to say I don't like reading it, because mm-hmm. I do enjoy reading a well-written first-person narr- narration. I think sometimes it flows better, it's faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there is an art, I think, to writing in third person, like Juliet Marillier, or... D- did I butcher that name again? How did we learn how to say it? Uh, I could not tell you. <laughs> uh, Daughter of the Forest. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yes. So that author also does third person or she wrote in first person. I think it might have been in first person. Oh my person. God. I, well, but it was like first person with like flirting with third person. Yeah. Where it wasn't totally obvious all the time. I don't the, know. There seems to be an art to writing in that style mm-hmm. without one, pulling the reader out of the world, yeah. right? Because you still feel immersed in the characters. Uh, but sometimes with third person, I feel like you're just watching from above mm-hmm. and you don't feel attached to anything. Yeah. With Grace Draven's stuff, you're like, nope, I'm equally invested in everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she has something kind of not magical, but it feels like mature in her writing that she can switch between characters and you feel equally invested in the story isn't like jarred. With each of the switches, because I think that's something people stumble across when they have point of view switches in first person where it's like jarring. You feel like you're like ripped out of the story and then you're like, okay, this is like a new scene. Like what the fuck is happening? Well, yeah. And also, how do you convey realistically switching from between two first person narrations, especially between a male and a female character? Yeah, because the voice is always fucked up. It's (laughs) weird. And I will say, I I feel like Grace Draven's male characters are somewhat believable. Mm -hmm. Like, no, I would want a dude's perspective to be like, is this dude written realistically given the situation? (laughs) But like, it seems legitimate. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of fantasy romance, and I feel like I say that a lot, but we've read a lot of fantasy romance. We live in this genre. (laughs) Because I feel like a lot of books kind of succumb to the a man written by a woman. That's like a whole like trope thing, Uh, which I love. Like, I know. That's why we read it. (laughs) And it's like, they do this, like, women written by men, like, have a certain style. Everything's like about their boobs somehow. Like, (laughs) um... (laughs) They're not that big part of my life. But Grace Draven writes very convincing men. Mm -hmm. Like it's uh, not uber patriarchal, but just uh, the way that um, men in society exist and are just a little bit different than people who like identify as women. And it's convincing without being like in your face, like I'm a dude. (laughs) It's just like, oh, yeah, this is someone of maybe a different gender. Yeah, it's very convincing. So if that's not enough to sell you on Master I, of yeah. Girls, I mean, <laughs> it's it's a very lyrical without being um, drowning in description of scenery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because uh, also it's smutty, which I think is something that a lot of more hardcore fantasy authors maybe don't stray into as much. Yeah. And like you're either one or the other. I feel like her writing style like leans into literature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and yet... And this is a good segue into talking about how spicy this book is. Like, uh, yeah, there are scenes in this book that are, I was going to say puckering. but <laughs> <laughs> I love that, actually. You know what I mean? Puckering. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I feel gross just resta- restating that. But that's accurate. Yeah. But in a not bad way. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you're just like, oh, okay, this is a I'm sex just scene. Playing that word in my head in the way you said. <laughs> so okay. You don't get to the spiciness until about like 70, 60, uh, 70%. Girl, I think it's way sooner. Is it earlier? <laughs> I think it's sooner. I know it's implied, but like they don't actually have. So uh, that kind of segues well into the intimacy versus spiciness. Yeah. Because um, there's a lot of points earlier in this book where you get intimacy without it being explicit sexual acts. But you're like, oh, this is like hot, but it's not. <laughs> So hot. <laughs> I guess the line for me is when she gets very specific with uh, how um, explicit. <laughs> Jordan's voice just went through the whole grieving process. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't Sorry, know. I don't know where I'm going. It's fine. <laughs> we should just start talking about the plot, and let's just say that it gets very, very spicy, like yeah, borderline erotica yeah. as far as the level of detail, mm-hmm. because. We've talked about this before in other books, which is how do you define spicy? Yeah. Is it the frequency of uh, romantic sexual scenes in the book? Mm-hmm. Or is it the level of detail given to those specific scenes? Mm-hmm. And I would say for this book, it's it steers more into the level of detail given rather than the frequency. Yeah. Because I think there's only like three possibly like they're very memorable (laughs) (laughs) they are (laughs) ones that you will remember for a while. And that sounds like a graphic, but they're just like well written also because um i would compare it in spiciness to nesta's story what is that a court of silver flames yeah Mm -hmm. uh so if that's your spiciness level this is equivalent (laughs) but it does it is nice because you have to earn it like you have to progress through the relationship to get to that point and Mm -hmm. a lot of authors i feel uh kind of cater to certain audience types that want that mm-hmm. like right in your face. Yeah. And it's nice too because the race relationship doesn't culminate to that. That's like a a pleasant side like stop on the road, but there's like still things they yeah. need to and figure it's out. The end of the plot. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that's our that's, <laughs> that's our, our rant. <laughs> that's our preface to actually getting into Master of Crow. Yes. And yeah, this is a fun read. This is a true is. fantasy romance read. So we'll kind of mm-hmm. get into it mm-hmm. right about now. Master of Crows. The Master of Crows. Uh, we have developed our rule for shots, which is, have. you put it better than I did. Uh, whenever someone says something like really outrageous um, and the other person dies, they have to take a shot. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we are going for insane off the wall. Um, We've already done it twice. Yeah. Accidentally. Yeah. And so uh, that's how we died. Um, this is the last <laughs> written testimony of Jordan and Katie. <laughs> this is only part one of Master of Crows. That fills me with terror. <laughs> It'll be fine. We'll get through it. So, It'll be fine. <laughs> do you want, you want to start us off, introduce sure. us to Silhara? Mm-hmm. So basically the whole first like two or three chapters of this book is setting the plot, which is... Um, more plays a part than I would have expected in like a spicy book, but there's like actually like a whole plot going on. So we're introduced to Silhara, which is um, he's like a magician sorcerer who has the title of Master of Crows. And it's kind of unclear what that really means, but it seems to be like a derogatory term because what's the word for the like the actual organized group of magicians oh, and sorcerers? Uh, the conclave? Yeah, yeah, that one. So he's like, an outcast yeah and i think it's kind of because he's like 
refused to be part of the like politicking and be underneath anybody else because that's a important part of his character is he's like this stalwart is that word stalwart yeah. mm-hmm. i don't know how you say it but oh, yeah, no, sure. questionable <laughs> um very like set in his ways is not going to be um trumped by anyone like he is master of himself mm-hmm. um and he's also the master of crows uh they throw out the phrase like crow mage um to oh, refer yeah. to other mages and i think there's one point in the book where she describes it as like a sorcerer who just sells his services his like ma- oh. like magic work for profit mm-hmm. rather than working for like the government essentially mm-hmm. um that kind of makes sense because um silhara's like side job or main job i guess is he owns an orange grove it's so cute it's adorable because he's obsessed with these oranges but he also hates eating oranges so uh, he makes like orange flower perfume and sells essential oils <laughs> <laughs> did i get one i think that's a shot i think so <laughs> Sorry. Take a shot, Katie. <laughs> oh, oh my god. Um that came way faster than I thought it would. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> oh my god. Girl. And <laughs> why did I say it like that? We didn't even make That's it past the character introduction. Oh my god. The bottle's um, right there if you want to refill. <laughs> Just the fact that we have characterized Silhara as like an essential oil. <laughs> like, <laughs> Um, I am not okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's him. And as we're introduced to him, I'm falling apart. <laughs> as we're introduced to Salhara at the beginning, he is being haunted, harassed, um, all of the above. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the god of corruption, who I guess is like a scary lesser- motherfucker yeah. is what he is. Yeah, it's like a lesser god of whatever pantheon they got going on. But he's basically like a star on the horizon, but he can speak to Silhara. And we kind of learn like immediately that he is the avatar reborn. So it's like corruption's human body on Earth who he will eventually like take over Silhara's mind and rule the world and corrupt everything. And yeah, but apparently can't do it without Silhara's uh, consent. Mm-hmm. So he's at like, least at first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think I forget, it's pretty early on in the book where she she being Grist Driven describes corruption because he makes this re- these repeated appearances like mm-hmm. in a kind of an earthly state almost. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um but I will never be able to unsee the description of corruption in this like humanoid form. <sighs> so this will haunt your nightmares. <laughs> so she describes corruption as this tall lanky the limbs are too long so oh, humanoid that is but the like, worst description. i know <laughs> but the the arms hang below the knees the the legs are too long for the torso there's a gaping mouth and no eyes yeah. no nose mm-hmm. gray skinned and just slender man yeah it's slender man <laughs> and like slender man is horrifying for yeah. a reason but yeah. that's also corruption yeah and he's also like rotting like didn't she describe her, his skin is like Sticky in that like unhealthy, sickly way where they're like rotting from inside. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, <laughs> everything is fine. So yeah, that's uh the god that's haunting Silhara. <laughs> well, and partially it's because Silhara is 
very powerful mm-hmm. like the the most powerful mage mm-hmm. to exist in that time mm-hmm. and he like gave the gigantic middle finger to the <laughs> government to be like no i'm not working for you sorry yeah. that's basically his character is just like giving the middle finger to everyone <laughs> yeah everyone <laughs> um and he's also kind of described as like um almost like middle eastern mm-hmm. in his like um uh, appearance yeah. yeah so he is um like tall and kind of lanky mm-hmm. not lanky but thin yeah um has hair down to his waist oh i <laughs> i don't normally like this trope but like it works he, for him <laughs> yeah girl <laughs> he's like swarthy dark mm-hmm. black hair mm-hmm. um very has like an Aqualine nose? Aqualine. Aqualine. Like this nose. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> it's not a compliment when you're a woman. <laughs> I, which is fucked up. But yeah. But he's also very, um, like his features are austere. Yeah. Very sharp cheekbones. and mm-hmm. So it's someone that's like, because um, I'm one of those people that I like interesting looking people. Mm-hmm. Like I find uh, interesting features attractive. Whereas like, I think some people are like, oh, the the perfect whatever golden ratio or whatever. So I he has that going on where it's like, you're not beautiful, but like you got something going on that's like, what the fuck, cool. It's like if you like Brad Pitt over Benedict Cumber- Cumberbatch. Uh, I don't like Benedict Cumberbatch, but Do Adam you know where- Driver. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a good comparison. Mm-hmm. It's or just something like they got going on. Timothy... Uh, Chalamet? Chal- Cham- uh, Timothée Chalamet. Yeah. <laughs> Though, so if you if you steer towards the Adam Drivers and the Timothys of the world, mm-hmm. rather than the Brad Pitts and the... Um, who's the dude who plays Captain America? Oh, uh, he's, I guess, a piece of shit. Uh, Aaron... Not Aaron. Uh, I could not tell you. But the Ryan Reynolds, too. I feel yeah. like he kind of falls it's in like, that, like, yeah. usual... Vanilla ice cream versus... <laughs> <laughs> we like a little spice. <laughs> Yeah, mocha chip. <laughs> mocha chip. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. Just interesting. Mm-hmm. And um that's a good segue because the female lead in this, her name is Martise, um and she's a slave/servant. It's like a indentured servant yeah. status with but her. like plus magic, so a part of her soul Real is bad. in this uh like crystal that her owner has. And the owner is um, Cumbria of Asher, who is the like archbishop or high bishop of the conclave. So he's like second best magician, magician. but he also hates Silhara. Like they got beef and it's revealed at the end, like why they have beef. But like Cumbria would murder Silhara in an instant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we, so Martise has been a servant since like she was a child, like seven or eight. Mm hmm. It's kind of heartbreaking, but you also yeah. don't get a lot of history prior to that. You just you you are introduced to Martise as adult Martise, servant status. Mm-hmm. No, that's I think what's intriguing with characters like this who are in like a downtrodden status and Mm -hmm. you're meant to feel sorry for them sometimes you get how they got there Mm -hmm. from the author to make you feel more sympathetic and you're just dropped in Mm -hmm. with her yeah because uh even throughout the whole book you have no frame of reference of why she's indentured at all like i feel like maybe her like mom died her and she was like sold away but (laughs) you really have like none of her history but she's like immediately an interesting character because she describes herself as like plain um not very pretty but just like existing but okay with existing because i feel like there's some main characters who are plain but they're like bitter about it Mm -hmm. which at at fair in like societies that 
love beauty above all. But she's just like um, very mature. She's just like, I am who I am. I'm a servant, but I have like, you know, my own thoughts and opinions about things. But this is who I am. I'm going to be in a servant, like whatever. Fuck off. It's like she's content with the world except for her status as as a slave yeah other than that there's not much she wants to change Mm -hmm. and even her like status as a slave you don't get any like glimpses into how that is for her yeah Mm -hmm. which is wild to me yeah because yeah because we're immediately dropped off and she is kind of um basically being talked to by cumbria or cumbria of asher um, and he's gotten a letter from Silhara that's basically like, hey, I need an apprentice who can translate like dead languages, but also is like can help me do manual tasks or whatever. Um, and everyone's like immediately suspicious of it. They're like, what the fuck is he like? Silhara hates us. <laughs> yeah, because Silhara would never reach out to the conclave. Mm-hmm. And this is how you know how bad it's gotten between him and this god of corruption is he's feeling so pressured by the god that he has nowhere else to turn aside from this organization that he hates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So our first uh, introduction with Martise is the Cumbria Vasher is telling her like, you are going to go to Silhara. You're going to be his apprentice. Um, and you're also going to be a spy because we think that he's a heretic. And you give us any evidence and he will be put to death, basically, or et cetera. I, it seems like there's implied <laughs> magical laws and rules to the world that they suspect oh, yeah. him of breaking or yeah. something like that, mm-hmm. I guess. Because I think they make like allusions to like a dark arcana or arcana mm-hmm. or something. So he's like potentially morally gray baddie <laughs> with, with it seems like good reason yeah. later on as you find like if you are like the living incarnation of the god of corruption on the world um i would be concerned too <laughs> you got a little bit of emotional baggage <laughs> and so uh basically she goes to neath which is like the territory household it's like his estate yeah of Silhara and um just immediately is like, hey, hi, I'm your new apprentice. And he's like, oh, what the fuck? Like, who? Well, and also Neath as a place uh, is super intimidating because yeah. even the animals. So this uh, archbishop dude and Martise ride up on the horses and they can't even ride the horses to like the main entrance gate of this place because it's so dark and wary and feels like death is looming over you as you're walking along the road to the manor. Ugh. <laughs> yeah it's dark and so they yeah that's the setup for neath it looks abandoned and decaying and not pretty because mm-hmm. i think it's described like even half of it is like destroyed yeah <laughs> like who would live here and it's like okay <laughs> and so she's introduced to silhara and she has one of those like quintessential like oh no he's hot moments <laughs> such a good yeah (laughs) yeah and she kind of also knows that he has like a reputation of being a little bit like questionable not great um but basically she's like okay i'm your apprentice and that's that she ends up helping around the estate and she's introduced to silhara's like uh servant Gurn. Gurn. <laughs> well, okay, before we move any further, though, mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting to talk about Solhara's first impression of Martise. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, Cumbria shows up with Martise, and Solhara doesn't really give her a second gla- glance. Mm-hmm. It's just, oh, here's your servant. All right, she's not much to look at. And you get that from his from his character. Like, oh, this is just another plain woman. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? Another mouth to feed. <laughs> and then... 
like I think he addresses a question to her when they first arrive, right? Yeah. And so she she responds and then <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's the other thing about this book. So Martise is described as having um <laughs> just say it, Katie. <laughs> a voice so beautiful it would make someone come. Yeah, finish. Jordan made herself explode. <laughs> I feel like I'm turning red <laughs> a little bit, but uh, yeah. So she apparently has a very pleasant voice that um, he's immediately like, "What the fuck?" Because he's kind of comparing like the contrast or contrast uh, <laughs> that was weird uh between her having very like plain features is kind of like a mouse like yeah con- very contents. small kind of easy to overlook mm-hmm. nothing distinguishable yeah very like demure and then all of a sudden she has this voice that's like oh well, jesus christ <laughs> and so we were talking before we started recording which is we can't think of what this would sound like no because i i imagine like radio voice a little bit yeah. for a dude like but for women, what we kind of agreed upon was someone who sounds like Emma Stone. Yeah. Or even uh, Gal Gadot. Have you heard any of her interviews? Um, not that I can recall. Um, there's just like something about the way she talks that's kind of like entrancing almost. You're like, oh, okay. Like, this is fun to listen to. But there's not many other people or examples that I can. Which is fair because this is supposed to be a really rare trait. And that it's is true. shocking when Marty speaks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that's his immediate, like, uh, oh, no, she's not hot, but her voice is doing things to my insides <laughs> is basically his uh, assessment. And so um, for the next, like, week or two, uh, Martise is just, like, helping Gurn around. Uh, we didn't talk about Gurn. Gurn is a cool character. He's adorable. I love him. He's a giant. Yeah. Literally. Huge. Like, seven or eight feet tall. And he is, the background for Gurn is he was imprisoned with Solhara when they were younger. Mm-hmm. Um, so back before he was a mage, Solhara was not a good dude. No. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. <laughs> and neither was Gurn. Yeah. And so I think as a punishment, Gurn had his tongue cut out. So he's a mute kind of. Yeah, because he accidentally killed someone or like smashed them to bits. It's forgivable. It's kind of one of those... Uh, uh, I was going to say Modest Mouse, but that's a band. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mice and Men? John Steinbeck? Yeah. Uh, the Big Guy and then The Little Guy. I don't know. And The Big Guy's like I a never read it. Girl, what? Nope. <laughs> it was probably required reading that like I bullshitted my way through. Wow. I'm impressed. Uh, gentle giant type. But he's also like very nice and he uses sign language uh, to communicate with people. And Martise is immediately like kind of not enamored with him, but they're like... They become besties. Yeah. Like, you know those people that you just vibe with and mm-hmm. you're like, we're family now. It's fine. That's basically Martise and Kern. They're also kind of united in their mutual disgust for some of Solhara's habits. Yeah. And like their their <laughs> attempts to take care of him and make him into like a functioning human being. Yep. Because <laughs> that's very much their uh, shepherding him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's also a final character who gets almost as much screen Page, page, page. <laughs> <laughs> I know what word you were going for. Page time, as mm-hmm. Gurn does, and that's uh, Kale, mm-hmm. the um, mage hunter dog. Yeah, mage find, mage finder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So these are these are like um, Great Dane sized dogs that are even scarier looking. So like, if a Doberman was the size of a Great Dane, yeah. Um, there's like a flock dogs. 
there's like a dog popular on Instagram that's like a, I could not tell you, but it's what you're describing. Okay. Uh, he takes care of the flock. Um, the, f- just, the flock of geese? <laughs> he just hangs out with the barn animals and he protects them. <laughs> okay, that's Kale. So Kale, um, there's like these mage finder dogs that are trained to sniff out people with magical gifts. And so they lose their shit whenever they smell someone with a gift. Like their eyes glow red. Yeah. And they're like, they hackle. Yeah. Whenever. Yeah. <laughs> it's a thing. But Kale is like a cute little side character dog mm-hmm. that like attaches himself to Gurn and Martise. And mm-hmm. yeah. Because uh, that's a good segue into the other thing about Martise. So she has had mage finders set upon her and they freak out and they're like, yep, she's got magical powers, but it hasn't manifested at all. And she's much older now. And it's kind of unheard of for her to have a magical power, but like nobody's been able to figure out like what the fuck. And she can't do any spells despite her like massive studying. Yeah. So part of the con part of the conclave is them like um, identifying children who are gifted Mm -hmm. and then training them to use their magical gifts. And then, so it's like part training Academy part, like, really toxic yeah um i don't i don't know how to describe it but so they train kids they also like abuse kids through their power and their training and so martise though a slave was also like attempted to be trained Mm -hmm. because they knew she had power but they couldn't figure it out and so kale like freaks the fuck out when he first meets her but um he doesn't like bite her or anything thank god um so selhara knows that she has magical powers but he's like okay well i guess we'll try to figure it out but Martise has been helping around the manor estate for a while now, and she hasn't seen Salhara at all. He's been, like, kind of sequestered away until one morning she's eating breakfast and he comes down. And basically he's like, okay, it's time for you to be an apprentice. Like, you've just been, like, doing whatever the fuck. Like, we got to work. And she's like, well, I have been working, but, like, okay. Um, and they have this kind of cute exchange that I included. <laughs> it's adorable. I I really liked it. You should You should talk about it. Okay, so um, Silhara is like basically like, okay, we're going to start practicing magic. And he says, what, did you think I lounged around on a couch all day reading tomes and muttering incantations while Gurn fed me grapes? And she responds, it would explain the dust. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like that kind of encaptures like she's snarky as fuck. But in the like. It's very controlled. Yeah. And she's like subservient is like a. See, I'm like not insulting you, but I'm coming in with these savage fucking one liners. <laughs> like, <laughs> I thought all of these scenes between like these daily routine scenes where they're having breakfast together or they're working in the field, which we'll get into later, mm-hmm. they seem more heavy yeah. and more intimate than many of the action sequences. And I think that's something this author does really well, which is establishing um, like presence yeah despite activity like all they're doing is having porridge oranges Mm -hmm. but they have this back and forth and it's like oh you can feel the romantic (laughs) tension Uh uh-huh because immediately like they have their back and forth after that or whatever and selhara says uh you've done an unwise thing martise of asher you've caught my interest (laughs) and i guess he said it softly like in a soft tone so you can only imagine like badass sorcerer is the like black sheep of the family and he's saying something very very intimate in a soft voice like everything's fine (laughs) thank you yes please i'd like to have some more (laughs) because that's kind of their whole interactions is he is like constantly underestimating her and then she comes up with some kind of like witty something and he's like wait a second (laughs) it's always him giving her a second look or a second listen 
mm-hmm. which I love when people and characters are underestimated and they yeah. get their own in the end. Like <laughs> It's satisfying. Very. And uh-huh. Martise definitely gets that, but she never does it in like this swaggering, blatant yeah. kind of way. She's just, she's competent and confident um, while still understanding exactly kind of where she fits in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, very subtle. Yeah. Would, yeah. All of her comments are very subtle. Um, so after breakfast, they immediately kind of go into the first attempt to find her magic. And this part is kind of fucked up. Um, Silhara floats her into the air and then he's like, okay, Martise, like you've studied for a long time. Like what's the incantation to drop you down safely? And she's like freaking out because, um, obviously screaming. She's- <laughs> she is screaming because she's levitated in the air. Yeah. And like up by the ceiling and it's like very high and she's panicking, panicking, panicking. And he drops her, uh, from that height and then stops her at the very last second. She is like pale white eyes, huge. Um, and it's kind of his attempt to like distance himself because he's intrigued by her, but he's like he doesn't like it though. Yeah, and he's like, I know you're a spy, but like, uh, fuck off! I'm gonna scare you. Um, and she kind of has like a surprising response to him. She's like, that was horrifying, but like, okay. And he's like, what? I thought you were going to run away. Which you know, typical. Like, if the reward for you like living with this mage and, and spying on him is your freedom, if you're a slave, yeah, oh, she's gonna roll with it no matter what. But also, there's a history with the conclave and the gifted children, which is extreme emotion um, bringing out their gift because mm-hmm. it kind of lies dormant mm-hmm. um, until something instigates it. And mm-hmm. I think that's what happened with Sahara too. So he's trying like all of these different mechanisms to get her gift to manifest itself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's not happening. Mm-hmm. It's not working. <laughs> and um, it's kind of funny because immediately after um, trying something and it didn't work, he says, I understand you've been helping Gurn, a comfort to know that while you can't work a simple spell, you can at least milk a goat. And she comes back. Uh, Yes, master. I've worked among livestock all my life, including cows, pigs, goats, and asses. And it's just a savage fucking (laughs) one-liner. I love her. (laughs) She's So Martise is a very likable, relatable character because, and this might be, this might sound like a critique, but because we don't get a lot of her history, because we don't get a lot, because this perspective switches so many times, you don't get a lot of her. Yeah. So it's easy to, like, it's easy to, like, uh, what's that word when you put yourself into the character? Uh, um, but you know where I'm projecting? going. Kind of. It's the reason why, like, Bella from Twilight was so popular. She's oh. enough of a blank slate that every reader can see themselves mm-hmm. as that character. Self-insert? Yeah. Yeah. Like that. So Martise, while distinct, um, is there's nothing really at fault with her. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're hmm. reflecting on yourself, right? Like every person at one point in their life doesn't feel pretty enough, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's a character that is described and feels plain, okay, relatable, right? A character that is just like pushing back at authority enough to feel like they're not getting walked all over, mm-hmm. but yet still um, likable yeah. and not an asshole. Yeah, that is true. I never uh, considered that she's doesn't have not flaws, but like is very just middle of the road. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I like that as a character. Mm-hmm. But I think there should be enough, like if a character is fully developed, there should be things you dislike about them. The that's, same way you dislike things about like real people. That's true. 
I, uh, okay, Jordan, come in here with the, like, deep cuts. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that was well-deserved. Huh. Um, and uh, I think you wrote this comment. Uh, she gets drunk on Pelita's fire. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> I think, I don't know if it's the levitating session, but there's another session where he tries to basically scare the shit out of her. And <laughs> to make her magic manifest. Yeah, no. And so she's like, no, God damn it. I, I need a drink. So she goes to the kitchen and she's like visibly shaken. And I think he, he summoned a demon or something like that. Yeah, like a widow's uh, scourge or something. Yeah. <laughs> I, I pictured, what's that scary ghost thing that, uh, is it Boggart? Oh, yeah. That's oh, what I, yeah. Oh, yeah. I just imagined some freaky like, that scurtles up, you know. That's a Harry Potter ghost thing. Um, for, Harry Potter. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so... That's what happens. She's freaked out. She goes to the kitchen. Gurn pours her like a glass of this drink called, say it? Dragon's piss. <laughs> oh, uh, Pelita's fire. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's a, that's a shot. Um, that's what it's called in the book. Like, I didn't just make that up. <laughs> that's the uh, common you, phrase. You had just said Pel- Pelita's fire? I... And that's what I was hoping you would say again. <laughs> and, and you said dragon's piss so straight-faced. Like, <laughs> that's what I thought you meant. No emotion whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, dragon's piss. But unlike our soju, this drink will, like, one sip will fuck you up. Yeah. Um, and so that's what happens to Martise, except she drinks the whole glass. Oh, my God. And she's feeling fuzzy. Yeah, because even Gurn is like, girl, what did you do? Um. He's, like, signing, like, stop. Are you okay? <laughs> And then Salhara comes down uh, as she's like kind of floating around the room a little bit, like feeling, feeling What's good. Up? And Salhara's like, well, girl, what the fuck did you do? And he like he either brings out a drink or he makes her something like he takes her yeah. to like an apothecary room, mm-hmm. makes her some sort of recuperating drink. And she's instantly fine, which woman, I wish we had something like that in the oh, real world. Oh, God. Because then you get all the fun of drinking and then not the not fun of mm-hmm. the hangover that I am also going to have tomorrow. <laughs> Everything's fine. Everything's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a cute little scene too. Mm-hmm. Where you, She also says like, oh, you're beautiful when he comes down or like some kind of comment that he's like, Oh, you're drunk drunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, he al- he's always like swaggering around mm-hmm. in these blood red robes and these jeweled belts and he's his hair is down to his fucking ass. Like <sighs> yeah. He's a very mage mage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a mage's mage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Um and then I don't think she's like passed a test, but all of a sudden it's like orange harvesting season and so it's like all hands on deck. Um, she helps uh, harvest in the orange grove. And there is not a way I can explain this without like reading it verbatim. But the way that he helps her uh, like learn how to cut these oranges is, again, very intimate. And he also she has a moment where she's like, oh, no, he's hot. Like again, because he's like all sweaty and his like shirts close to him. And, OK, like, <laughs> let's, let's talk about this for a moment. Yeah. OK, think of every kind of scene where a a very classic gender roles thing where a yeah. man is teaching a woman something oh do you know how to play pool let me show you how to hold the cue yeah. um you know but do you know what i mean it's that trope yeah. which obviously exists for a reason yeah um but what i think grace draven does really well is those very um subtle intimacy building scenes mm-hmm. where it's just him showing her a task and there's no implied romantic tension it's just here's the job we have to do i'm mm-hmm. gonna show you how to do it but you see the relationship 
developing through those moments, these Mm -hmm. very brief day-to-day, it's very satisfying. Yeah, it really is. And it's fun, too, because I think it immediately after flashes to Solhara's point of view, but he's kind of, like, impressed by her, like, pragmatism and just, like, okay, this is a task. I have to do it. You know, I've never done it before, but I'm going to work hard at it and do it well. And he's, like, impressed by her ability to, like, catch on fast. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of, like, you immediately are thrust into, you know, her trying to figure out something for the first time. But then you immediately get that, like, positive feedback of, like, oh, she's doing it well. And, like, he's not saying that to her, but you're like, oh, the feel-good endorphins. Like, <laughs> it's a very, like, warm, fuzzy, cozy yeah. moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of those little, little intimate moments that make everything uh, better throughout the plot that you're like, okay, they're intimate, even if it's not in uh it feels smutty, even though it's not. Like I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, it, it's not. Like when you when you're reading this, and this is a major portion of the book. There is nothing overtly romantic, nothing mm-hmm. physical. It's just these two characters interacting through these you know day to day actions. But it feels intimate because of the chemistry that's already kind of built by the author, mm-hmm. which is like this very unique thing that you don't get to see a whole lot. Yeah. Like sometimes you need these overt actions like where the hero hero saves the heroine or vice versa. Someone's mm-hmm. near death. Someone gets jealous because there's a third party involved. No, this is just them cutting oranges off a tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that speaks to Grace Draven's ability to write um, compelling characters and to develop them well enough that you feel satisfied by these little moments. Um, Because she doesn't have to rely on these, you know, crazy moments of very tropey-esque behavior it's just like these cute little intimate moments where you're like oh i need to like fan myself even though they're just like learning how to do something (laughs) i think a really um good example of this is the fact that martise observes silhara eating oranges every morning for for breakfast (laughs) and he despises oranges because he has to eat them all the time because like one it's free food right it's like easily available so and like they don't live richly silhara is basically poor Mm -hmm. he's like uh, house rich or yeah um but like destitute (laughs) yeah like his clothes are patched and worn he is very much dependent on the sale of his oranges and stuff so he eats oranges every day but he despises them but it's that like you get to know so much about Sahara as a character just by knowing that he eats oranges every day for breakfast but despises them Mm -hmm. like it's such a good character Mm -hmm. device Love it. <laughs> and you also get like very intimate description of him like peeling oranges. Which like, was strangely hot. <laughs> I know. See, that's what I mean. <laughs> All of these moments are strangely hot. I cannot quantify it. You just read it and you're like, oh, okay. I, I understand now. Because <laughs> explaining it does not do it justice. Um, but life kind of continues on at Neath. Everything is vaguely normal. Silhara is still trying to help um, uh, Martise like find her power or whatever. And they have kind of like more cute banter so there's this one scene martise is at breakfast um kale is under the table and she's like rubbing him with his like foot like Mm -hmm. you do that with like dogs that are just like oh can i get a scrap um and Silhara comes in and he says you spoil uh my dog i now have a mage finder who spends his day lolling with the swine and being begging caresses from a woman not that i blame him for the last and she comes back oh, this line <laughs> i'm confused master do you speak of the failures of men or dogs and it's just these savage one liners that you're like i love you she's brutal <laughs> yeah but it's also the moments that silhara's like 
Oh, Aries. It makes him open his eyes a little bit and like look at her as a person rather yeah. than this um, spy. Mm-hmm. It's adorable. I loved the next scene. Oh my god! So <laughs> again, this is this fucking like it's you smut, feel like but you're not. you feel like you're watching something that you shouldn't be watching. <laughs> but there's it's just so can can I just go into it? Yes, please. Uh, okay, so they are working in the orange fields every day because it's harvest season, and mm-hmm. this is the first time Martise, who has previously worked as like a scholar translator, she's a slave, mm-hmm. yes, but she's a slave in like a. Scholarly, yeah, scholarly like status, educated way. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's weird. So she's not really used to hard labor. And if you've ever done like <laughs> farm work or anything Bruh. physical outside, all, yeah, it's yard work for a day. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard on your body because you're using muscles that you haven't used a lot. And so she's kind of crippled. Yeah, after after <laughs> yeah. doing this and like can barely move. And like I felt like that before. And mm-hmm. you feel like nothing will save you. Yep. And so. They're like eating lunch or something. And Silhara's like, come with me. Mm-hmm. And it's this very like, oh, where are you taking me? <laughs> <laughs> and so he takes her to this uh, storeroom, yeah. ointment room. Uh, that sounds weird. Ointment <laughs> room. That is weird. I'm like, sorry. <laughs> like a distilling room. It's like where he turns orange products into other orange products. Like an apothecary, but like more uh, rustic. Yeah. Makes perfume. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mixes yeah. essential oils. It's fine. Uh, so <laughs> he sets her down and tells her, like, take your dress off, basically. <laughs> and she's alarmed. She's yeah. like, nope, I didn't come here for that. Don't yep. do this. And then he has the most, like, the best response to her obvious, like, wariness mm-hmm. and her feeling of fear, which is, like, basically along the lines of, don't worry, I'm not interested. Like, if I, if I want a woman, I can get one. Like, you clearly cannot work right now. Let me help you. Mm-hmm. And it's this very um, non-sexual, but him taking care of her. Mm-hmm. Um, just <laughs> just to take care of her. So, like, she's like, okay, this is awkward for me. So she kind of, like, <laughs> shrugs her dress off enough to, like, mm-hmm. show her back. And he takes this ointment mm-hmm. and just rubs it into her back and shoulders enough the places where she basically can't reach mm-hmm. and it works wonders and it's everything that is mm. <laughs> <laughs> sorry I'll take a shot for that because the wistfulness in your voice <laughs> Everything's fine. that sound I don't think mm-hmm. I could ever replicate mm-hmm. in my life anyway Sahara takes care of Martise it oh doesn't <laughs> doesn't morph into anything sexual Mm -hmm. it's just him taking care of her and she is i think at once astonished and relieved Mm -hmm. and like she she's continually revising her view of him Mm -hmm. the more time she spends with him Mm -hmm. and this is one of those turning points where she's like oh he didn't take advantage of me oh he's actually like a kind decent person despite being very sassy and (laughs) (laughs) sassy And it's nice, too, because uh, the scene is told from his perspective, and um, he's kind of, like, just talking to her throughout, like, um, trying to, like, keep her calm he, yeah, or, he's like, trying comfortable. To, exactly. Yeah. And so he kind of reveals that he was uh, born or, like, grew up in a brothel because um, his mother was uh, – is there a better word for prostitute? Um, um, a lady of the night? <laughs> <laughs> too <laughs> um she was a prostitute and so he grew up in a gro- brothel in uh sorry yeah i think he calls them um huris yeah Ouris. it's like h-o-u-r-i right mm-hmm. Ouri, which i think is like a um, some kind of term it's like a more like 
not as bad term, I think. I don't know. But he has this funny comment, like, it's nothing I haven't seen before unless you have a third breast. Like, that would be interesting. <laughs> I forgot about that one. <laughs> and so that kind of, like, calms her down. She's like, okay, this is fine. Um, But it's told from his perspective. And you kind of get that he's, like, very clinical. He's just trying to help her. But also he has this kind of, like, revision in his mind of, like, he has a moment of, like, oh, no, she's hot. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that <laughs> yeah. part. Because, you know, very plain. She wears, like, baggy clothes that are, like, hand-me-downs from um, Cumbria's wife, I think. Mm-hmm. And so they don't fit well. And then she kind of, like, takes the back off and he's like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, porcelain skin, curvy, like, epitome of what you'd want to be as a woman. He gets, like, <laughs> he gets, like, a glimpse of her, like, side. Yep. <laughs> You guys like side titty. <laughs> he loses his mind, kind I, of. <laughs> so I think it's important to classify, and and this is the way you make plain female heroines relatable and approachable, yeah. which is the fact they're, they're not really plain. Like you've seen plain people, plain mm-hmm. women and men, and it, we're humans. We like attractiveness, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, these characters are not like that. Yeah. I don't think it's not. These people wouldn't, based on how she's described. So she's got like these. Um, amber colored eyes Mm -hmm. and like copper hair and i imagine her features are just the way you'd expect someone who doesn't wear makeup and is kind of on the thinner side yeah and it kind of felt like a cop-out almost of like she's plain but like a body for days you know what i mean like like why do you have to compensate yeah like you already compensated with her like um voice or whatever yeah (laughs) yeah so i don't know but it was also again i think you described it really well like a moment that was so intimate that you're like i shouldn't be watching this (laughs) but it's like satisfying in that kind of way Mm -hmm. that you're like this is uh, <laughs> so this is oh. so this is the same kind of intimate feeling moments that like we see a lot in K dramas. Yeah, which is no, there's romantic tension, but mm. there's nothing sexual. Yeah, it's just these kinds of moments, and K dramas do those moments really well because they have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's kind of like what is missing sometimes from romance books if you don't have like the buildup behind it and they kind of maybe rely too heavily on these like you know climax scenes in both ways to describe that word um they kind of rely too much on that but this very uh these like moments kind of build the tension up in a very satisfying way so it's like yeah there might not be sex all over every single page like you know a quarter silver flames or whatever but there's these moments that you're like oh this is naughty like i shouldn't be watching this but it's not naughty so it's it's a want i can't explain it very well but trust me <laughs> but but don't worry if you stick around long enough in this book you'll get to the naughty sections just fine <laughs> there are naughty sections <laughs> i I think this might be a good point to wrap for us. Yeah. Yeah. Because the next part is just they're continuing to translate things. They have some pages in a library that are cut off. They're missing pages. Um, And Selhara kind of like is like, okay, we got to find the rest of the pages. I stole them from like a haunted keep that a leech like. Oh, I don't know. I didn't even try and say that in my head. (laughs) L-I-C-H, ghosty boy. Ghosty boy. <laughs> <laughs> a ghosty boy is haunting. <laughs> oh, my God. And uh, we have to go find them. And uh, Martise is like, what the fuck? And so, they yeah. go off. <laughs> part two is, so part one is like development and buildup of like the romantic tension between mm-hmm. these two characters. And then part two is kind of where the action kicks off. Yeah. So. Kind of extends the plot a little bit. Uh, yeah. So we'll kind of resume part two yes. with 
Uh, more action. Action. Oh, <laughs> in both senses of the word. <laughs> so, from our shelf to yours. We'll see you on the next page. Hi, readers. If you'd like to help us pick our next book, send us a message on Instagram. Or if you'd like to just listen, we post new episodes every Monday and Wednesday on Spotify, Apple, and Amazon. Thanks for listening. Bussin'. <laughs>